Welcome into Mock Trial Masterclass, your guide to controlling the courtroom. I'm Luke and I want you to be a Mock Trial Master. Let's talk about how you can make that happen. So in another video we talked about how the hearsay rule prevents you from bringing in out-of-court statements and offering them in court for the truth of the matter asserted. And we talked about how the reason that that happens is typically statements like that aren't reliable. But as you may have wondered to yourself, or you may have thought before, what if there are situations where an out-of-court statement is reliable? What if it's something bad that someone said about themselves, and why would anyone lie about that? Isn't that reliable? What about a document that comes from a computer, like cell phone records or business receipts or something like that? Aren't things like that reliable? What about people saying things to a medical doctor to try to uh, help the doctor figure out what's wrong with them? Why would someone lie in that situation? Well, those are all great questions, and they're questions that the folks who wrote the rules of evidence thought about. Because of questions like that, we have a series of several hearsay exceptions. And what hearsay exceptions do is they say, even though an out-of-court statement, even though a statement that a witness says is technically hearsay under Rule 801, under that hearsay rule, it is, for one reason or another, reliable and therefore should be allowed. And what we're going to do in this video is go over the four most commonly used, the four most commonly invoked, if you will, there's a big word for you, hearsay exceptions. We're going to talk about what they mean, we're going to talk about what they apply to, and how you can think about those exceptions the next time you study a mock trial case to see if some out-of-court statements might actually be able to come into the record. Ready to go? Let's hop in. The first hearsay exception we're going to talk about comes to us through Rule 801-D2 in the Federal Rules of Evidence, and it's called an admission by a party opponent. And it's that situation I was describing in the intro, when someone says something bad about themselves, and why would they lie about that? That's why this rule exists. So this rule, admission by a party opponent, applies to exactly what the rule title tells us it applies to. Statements that an opponent to your party makes are fair game for your party to use. So, for example, if you are the plaintiff or the prosecution in a trial, statements that the defendant made, or if you're in a civil trial and the defendant is a business, statement that certain employees of that business make are fair game. Because most of the time, you're going to be using statements that they made about themselves that weren't very, very good, that didn't paint themselves in a good light, right? Or why else would you use them? And so we ask the question, isn't that pretty reliable? Why would they lie about that? And the answer is, yeah, it's reliable. They probably wouldn't rely or lie about that. And that's why they are allowed. If you are the defense in a civil case, in a lawsuit, and you've got a plaintiff who is bringing a lawsuit against you, you as the defense may use statements that the plaintiff made under this exception. Just remember, again, under this rule, under Rule 801-D2 in the federal rules, statements made by the opponent of your party, the party opponent, are allowed and are not considered hearsay. Now, a couple of things to remember. Number one is that lawyers are not parties. So this doesn't mean that you can say, well, the lawyer for my opponent said this and that and the other outside of court. It only applies to the party themselves. Or again, if the party is a business or an entity, uh, agents or employees of that business or that entity. You should also keep in mind that this rule does not apply to your party. So if uh, you are the defense in a murder case, 
You cannot get one person that you call the witness stand to talk about statements that your client made, that the defendant made, right? It does not deal with your party. It's not just statements made by a party. It's statements made by a party opponent, the other side of the case, the opponent to your party. And under this rule, those statements are fair game and they're not hearsay. Next exception we'll talk about comes to us under Rule 803.2 of the Federal Rules of Evidence, and it's called excited utterance. Sometimes there are situations where something happens that's really, really startling, and people just react in the moment to those events, and they're probably not crafting a lie because, again, this really startling thing just happened, and they're just reacting. Statements like that are allowed under Rule 803.2 as an excited utterance, and they're not considered hearsay. Now, there are a few uh, parts of this rule that you'll have to meet, that you'll have to prove in order for a statement to be considered an excited utterance. You'll need to prove, number one, that there was a startling event. Think like a car crash, a gunshot going off, an explosion. Some of those may even be extreme, and you might find startling events that aren't quite that extreme, but you must have a startling event for a statement to be considered an excited utterance. Number two, the statement has to be about that startling event. The startling event can't allow the witness to just start giving opinions about random things. The statement that counts under this rule actually has to be about that startling event. You'll also need to prove that while this person gave whatever statement you're trying to use, the person was still under the stress of excitement, or in other words, was still under whatever stress or emotional response this startling event gave them. Now, while there's no time component for excited utterance, two weeks after the event probably is not going to be okay because at that point, the person's probably calmed down. They've certainly had a chance to perhaps craft a lie. And as a result of that, you're not going to be able to use it as an excited utterance. But five, 10 minutes after the startling event happened, especially if it was a really dramatic one like we talked about earlier, and the person is still very clearly emotionally shaken up and is still under that stress of excitement, in that situation, you're going to be good to go. So just make sure that as you're leading up to asking that million dollar question, right, what did they say, a statement that you're going to try to use under this hearsay exception, that you lay the foundation for those elements we talked about, a startling event, a statement about the startling event, and a statement made while the witness was under the stress of that startling event or that that startling event caused. If you can prove all of those things and under Rule 803.2, you're probably going to be good to go to use that statement as an excited utterance. The next common hearsay exception we'll talk about comes to us through Rule 803.3, and this one deals with then existing mental, emotional, or physical condition. And the rule does exactly what it sounds like. When someone makes a statement about their own personal mental, emotional, or physical condition, it is allowed as an exception to hearsay under this rule. Now, the key thing to remember is that these statements need to be about the declarant, the speaker's own physical condition. So if I was talking to a friend of mine and I said, man, I have a headache right now, right? that's me talking about my own physical condition, that's going to count. But if I'm talking to a friend and I say, man, Johnny had a headache earlier today, that one's not going to count because it's all about your physical, emotional, or mental condition that is going to count under this rule. Now, what's interesting about the rule is it gives us a list of examples as to what types of statements count. So I'm going to share some of those with you right now. Some of the ones that the rules list include motive, intent, 
plan, emotional condition, or physical condition. So any statement that someone gives about their own emotional condition, physical condition, plan, or motive, those count under this hearsay exception, under Rule 8033. Again, just make sure you lay that foundation that you're, we're about to hear a statement that someone made about their own physical, emotional, or mental condition, and you should be good to go. Before we get into the final hearsay exception we're going to talk about, I want to remind you that my book, Mock Trial Masterclass, is available on Amazon to purchase. And look, I get it when it comes to objections. They're really tricky, they're complicated, and when you first start your mock trial career, they can be really overwhelming. Even if you've been doing this for a few years, it can still be really, really hard. That's one of the reasons I wrote this book. It is filled with tips for how to make objections well, how to argue objections well, and it's filled with breakdowns of all of the most common rules of evidence, including hearsay, to help you get on the right page, to help you understand what these rules mean so that you can go into a courtroom and dominate with your objections. And if you don't think you're capable of that, you're wrong. I disagree with you. You absolutely can dominate with objections. You just need the tools. And this book will give you those tools. If you want to pick up a copy, you can click the link for Amazon in the description on YouTube or in the show notes on podcast platforms. The fourth and final common hearsay exception we'll talk about here comes to us through Rule 8036 of the Federal Rules of Evidence, and it deals with records of regularly conducted activity. This is also sometimes known as the business records exception. This deals with the type of example we talked about earlier where maybe a computer is printing out a document like cell phone records or a business finance report or even something maybe that a human deals with but is still considered a business record or to use the words of the rule, a record of regularly conducted activity. When you have a document like that, for the most part is going to be considered an exception to the hearsay rule because again, these types of things, unless someone is just cooking the books or something wild is happening, this stuff is considered reliable. So if you have a document that you want to use under this exception, there are a couple of things you'll need to do as you're asking the witness you're dealing with uh, questions about it. First of all, you will need to establish that this document was kept in the regular course of business. And you'll also need to establish that the witness who's speaking about it has sufficient knowledge about the document. So, for example, if you were trying a case where you were suing a phone company and you brought me up to the witness stand and were trying to get me to talk about this phone company's financial records, you would not be able to do that. That would not work. I don't know anything about any cell phone company's financial records. And even though technically they may be a record of regularly conducted business, I would know nothing about that, would have nothing to offer you on the witness stand, and so the judge wouldn't let it in. In that case, you would need someone from the phone company, someone who dealt with these records, who managed these records, perhaps even a custodian, if you will, to use a legal term, of those records. You would need that person on the witness stand to be able to use the document so that someone with knowledge of the documents could establish that they were indeed real business records, that they were kept in the regular course of business, and that as a result, they would fall under this 8036 hearsay exception. Just keep that in mind and know that, again, for the most part, business records are going to come in under this hearsay exception. So again, those are just four of the most common hearsay exceptions you'll deal with in mock trial. There are several others that I would encourage you to read through and, and study, but for now, these four are gonna get you started and again, are gonna be the ones that pop up the most often that you'll have to deal with. 
So study these rules, make sure you know them inside and out so that you can always RTR and then connect that rule to the evidence in question. If you don't know what in the world I just said about RTR in that second part, go check out my video on how to win objections with great arguments. I'll put a link to that in the description on YouTube and the show notes on podcast platforms. And once you start doing that, I know that you'll be able to handle hearsay objections like a mock trial master.